0: <clears throat> Got to prime the well, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're back in our sermon series study in the Book of Exodus. Last week we touched on. Uh, we were in Exodus chapter twelve, right? And uh, we had looked at the the beginning, the steps at the very beginning of of what we perceive to be the Exodus. Where the children actually make a move. As a matter of fact, last week we looked at the response of Pharaoh to the last plague upon Egypt. And that being the, the, the plague of the firstborn. And his response to Moses and the children of Israel was, was for the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, to get out of the country. Right? That's what he was saying. Go ahead and get out. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the large portion of the population of Egypt were afraid uh, that if they didn't leave, that ultimately they would all end up dying, right? And so uh, we, we looked at that, and, and uh, we also uh, uh, touched on the, the notion of the idea that God used the Egyptian people and their resources uh, to basically... Uh, uh, to deposit uh, a great deal of wealth into the hands of the Hebrews as as they depart. We're going to actually touch on that a little bit today. And um, we noticed at the end of the scripture that we uh, uh, studied last week that their journey started uh, in a place or a city called Ramesses. Remember that? We talked about that. And Ramesses was actually a store city for for Pharaoh that the Hebrews had built with their own hands as slaves. And we, we touched and talked about the idea that many times God's deliverance, uh, the catalyst for His deliverance, begins at a place of slavery built by our own hands. Right? How many of you, without embarrassing anyone, would say, you know, when God delivered me, He had to deliver me out of a place that I had established with my own hands. You know what I'm talking about? I had been there myself. Many of the vices, many of the things that I needed to be delivered from uh, were creations of my own doing. And I've said this from the pulpit many, many times. uh, We give way, way too much credit to the devil. Way too much credit to the enemy. A lot of times, our own struggles and our own issues are devices established and created uh, and born out of the evil desires in our own hearts, is what the scripture says. And, uh, And that's a reality. Now, I'm not diminishing or dismissing the influence of the enemy on this world in which we live because that's real. But at the same time, I'm not doing a Flip Wilson this morning and saying the devil made me do it. You know what I'm saying? There's a free will. You and I have choices. And many times we suffer at the hands or the ends, Kevin, of our own choosing, right? Now, what we would normally do in the Scripture uh, and through the, our sermon studies is we would move to the next verse, right? And, and typically that's what I love to do. I love just to, just to keep on moving. But this week, it was actually around Wednesday, when I felt like God wanted me to hover over a portion of Scripture and uh, extract a few things that I think are going to be beneficial to you that we actually covered last week, but we want to kind of take a deeper look into it because I think it's going to be beneficial to some here today. And I'm going to preface even doing that by saying this. We currently live and have been living for some time in a culture, in a, in a political climate that is hostile towards the gospel. And, and you say, you mean only the gospel? Listen, if you're being honest, if you're being honest, the political climate, the cultural climate in which we live today, God's not really an offensive thing. The God of, of uh, the Muslims isn't an offensive notion. The God of the Hindus or the Buddhists isn't an offensive notion. But the moment you introduce Jesus into the equation, Reuben, I'm telling you, man, people will just rise up against that. Jesus causes and reveals offense in the hearts of our culture today. I mean, it really does. You mention Jesus, you push him to the center of the table, and then all of a sudden, you've got a hostile response. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a portion of Scripture that we covered last week elaborated on it it to some degree uh, to a greater extent than we did last week because what I want you to do as brothers and sisters, and this is what I want for myself, is I want you to have confidence in the leading of God in your life, walking out your faith. I want you to have confidence in God because I'm telling you, in the climate in which we live today, you're going to have to have some serious resolve and some serious confidence in God. Because I'm telling you, opposition is at every corner. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was looking through an old church directory here at the the Driven Church. Uh, Back then in 1983, it was called uh, Elizabethtown First Church of God, correct? And I started looking through this directory, Bree, and you were in it. Yes. Bree was in it. Jay was in it. Terry, you were in it. You don't look any older today than you did then, Brandon Seeker. You were in it, brother. Brandon Seeker looked like he come off a set of a sitcom. You know, one of those uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. I mean, he looked apart. He's straight up right there. He looked like a sitcom actor. But I, I, I saw some of, saw some of you guys in there, and I began to look at some of the older uh, portions of the congregation. And I told someone that was in the little office back there, I said, if those people were alive today, they would not believe where we're at as a country, as a nation, as a culture in general in regards to the things of God. They would be absolutely blown away. They would say, we live in a world upside down. That's what they would say. I guarantee it. And so we are living there. And so you and I need to have some confidence, great confidence, In God and what God has called us to do. Amen? All right. Before I go any further, I want to say to Ben Ashlock, who his mother passed this week, I want to say, brother, we love you. We're praying for you and your family. You know this. Ricky Lowell, whose mother passed away yesterday morning. I've known her all my life. I've known the family all my life. And I want you to know that we're praying for you and your family, your brothers, your sisters, grandchildren, all those. And we love you. You know this, right? And as brothers and sisters of Jesus, it's incumbent upon us to bear the heartache of our brothers and sisters to minister, to pray for, to intercede for them because each of us who have experienced a loss of of a similar manner understand the level and the degree of grief that comes in that loss. Many here have lost a father or a mother over the last year and in that painful experience God has equipped you to understand the heartache and the difficulty that other people are going through. So do not let your grieving be wasted but instead allow your grieving to equip you to minister and to love other people as they go through what you went through. And I I say to you, and I charge you, Ben, I charge you, Ricky, there will come a day, today is your day, to receive from others. This season is your season to receive from others during your loss. But there will come a time when you'll be in the company of people who have suffered similar loss, and you may be the only agent who will be able to identify with those people and recognize the degree of the heartache that they're suffering. And God has equipped you even now in this difficult season when that moment arises to love them the way you need to be loved right now. Amen? God wastes nothing. Right? Now on the sermon. Onto the, let's look at Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses here, 31 through 36. And then we're going to jump off that and we're going to go back to verse 3 because it's absolutely uh, necessary to do that. So the scripture says during the night, and you'll remember this as we read it last week, during the night Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites, that being the Hebrews, did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Lord, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. Speak to us in the name of Jesus, and the children of God said, Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at this. Now, I want to explain something. I hope I didn't lose anybody last week in this, but I want you to get something that is extremely important for our focus today. Okay, if you go into Exodus chapter 11, verse 2, it says this, okay, tell the people, that being men and women, all right, men and women, some translations will say have the men speak to the men and the women speak to the women, but it says uh, uh, the men and women uh, are to go, are alike, are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold, right, silver and gold, but it does not mention at that juncture the men ever asking for clothing. Both parties were to ask for silver and gold. But only the women were asked. Because we, we when we get to that portion of Scripture, when you, when you go back and you say, well, God said gold and silver. But then when we get into that chapter or that verse right there, it says that they asked for gold, silver, and clothing. And we elaborated on that, didn't we? By going all the way back to chapter 3, this is the verse that we read last week. And I want you to understand uh, the gist of what's taking place here. That's the verse of concentration this morning. Because there's things in that verse that if you and I can understand, it'll allow us to live our faith out in a culture that is hostile towards you and me. Really, the Jesus in you and me. Right? Right? And this is the verse, verse 21 and 22. And it says, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and goat and for clothing, right? We touched on that, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And one translation says, you will strip them of their wealth. Now, what I want to do is I want to paint a picture for you. I'm a visual learner. Many of you are visual learners as well. So I'm going to try to paint a picture for you of the scenario playing out right here. Okay? Women in that culture, would have been considered uh, on a sub-level of men. They, they, were, they were less than, and still in Middle Eastern cultures, you still see this playing out, uh, and, it's, and it's obvious. You know, there, there's women in our culture who still say that, uh, that, that's a reality in this culture, and to a great extent it probably is. But in that culture, in that culture, even more so, it is evident. So this is what I want you to picture. Here are these women that God has spoken to. And God has, has placed on these women a responsibility to go out as well, to ask of their neighbors gold and silver and clothing. Now, that doesn't seem like a, 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 a big situation. But this is what I want you to understand, is the dynamic that is taking place. There is a call on the lives. There's a responsibility laid at the feet of these women were already suppressed to now go out into the culture to go knock on the doors of Egyptian women who would be burying their firstborn children that very day and to ask of them in light of funerals being arranged I need your gold I need your silver and I need the clothes you have. Now, I don't know if you're quite grasping what type of a proposition that would be and how fearful a proposition or a calling like that would be upon a woman such as that. Can you imagine, could you imagine if God asked you under those conditions, the extreme wailing of Egypt, the morning throughout the night, the screaming and and the heartbreak of the families of Egypt who suffered because of the disobedience of their leadership and God had to protect His own people and liberate them. At the end of the squalling and the wailing, there comes a knock on your door. Can you imagine as every woman filed out of their homes to go make that request? You think that wasn't a terrifying proposition? And you say, "Trent, is God ever going to lead me into a situation or circumstances that may be terrifying?" I'm going to tell you cuz I'm honest, absolutely. There are times when he tells when he tells Joshua, "Do not be afraid." Be strong and courageous. When he, the reason he says do not be afraid because the place that he was leading Joshua was a scary place. Opposition was awaiting him. You see what I'm saying? And so this is a reality. And so you can imagine as these women are leaving. Now I don't know, I don't know uh, where you've been and all that. I don't know if you've ever been called to go into a place that would require some real courage. And a brave spirit knowing resistance was awaiting you on the other side of that door? I don't know if that's been your case, but that's the case here. And what I do not believe, and I told Carl this this morning, I do not believe these women went out like synchronized Olympic swimmers and all knocked on the door simultaneously. Because I'm going to tell you how people are, Reuben. People want to see what God is going to do before they step out there. So I'm going to paint this picture because I think it's accurate because I think it's what you and I would do. I don't know who the brave woman was who knocked first, but I guarantee you there was a thousand set of eyes on that lady. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can almost see them like dominoes. The first knock, the doors open, trembling voice you would only imagine, right? Could I have your gold? Could I have your silver? I need your clothes. A weeping mother answers the door. How else would a mother answer a door on the morning that her firstborn son lay dead in the house or her firstborn daughter lay dead in the house? You think she jumps up with a cup of coffee percolating in her mind, her spirit, in her emotions? I'm telling you, she answers that door with tears in her eyes, Reuben. And the request is made because this is what God has said, Jose. And The eyes are on her. You know they are. The eyes are on her. And can you imagine when the gold is brought, and the silver is brought, and the clothes are brought, the watching eyes of the other women. Can you imagine that? little faith energized in maybe the next woman. God done it for her. Maybe he'll do it for me. And the knock comes. And the third woman's watching. The fourth woman's watching. The fifth and the gold and the silver and the clothes come. And Then all of a sudden, man, those knocks start to sound like Gabe on the drum up here. I mean, people knocking everywhere. Do you know why? Do you know why that would be the case? Do you know why? God's faithfulness has a way of emboldening us with confidence. And there are times in our lives that our confidence in God's faithfulness isn't just what we experience ourselves, but is in what we see in the lives of other people. I don't know who the last sister was that done the last knocking. But I guarantee you every other woman, Hebrew woman, was looking at her with the same anticipation of what God had done for them. He was going to do for the very last woman. We need to have a level of trust and confidence in God. And we need to allow that to embolden us, to strengthen us, to give us a resolve to go into the scary places, into those propositions where conflict may await us. You cannot avoid it. Not if you want to be faithful and God says go and you know what waits for you. There's no way around that. I remember just a few weeks ago, and you guys know this, I mentioned it briefly one Sunday, few weeks ago, seven, eight weeks ago, uh, eight weeks, maybe nine. Time flies, right? Uh, I had the opportunity to to speak at a funeral for a friend of mine, Mark Hatcher, Pooh Hatcher. Y'all remember me mentioning this? And I knew the place was going to be a pack. He he had a lot of influence over a lot of people. He was friends to a lot of people. And I knew, I knew that place was going to be packed. I knew that funeral home was going to have two or three hundred people. Whatever it would hold, Larry, we knew it was going to be full, didn't we? We knew it. And the other thing that I knew was there was going to be a great deal of people there who did not care or value the gospel. To them, it was absolute foolishness. And it was incumbent upon me, required of me, to stand up there in front of a congregation of two hundred 300 people, however many it was, and declared the gospel knowing that there were people rolling their eyes, mocking the truth of the scripture. And I knew that. Now listen, I can give you the preacher spiel and say I stood up there with a great deal. Of, man, it didn't shake me. I walked in the spirit and I delivered the word and God worked, right? I can do, But I'm going to be honest with you. I wrestled leading up to that morning. I wrestled. Because you know why? I'm like you. You don't want to be rejected, do you? You don't want to be mocked, do you? No. You don't want to fail either, do you? And I remember telling my wife, I said, I'm scared. I'm scared because I don't know what I need to say. I'm scared because I'm afraid I'll fail God. And this moment is so fleeting, I'll only have these people for a brief moment. I may never get these people again. I'm so uncertain of what it is that I need to speak. And I felt so vexed in my heart, Ben, I come across sometimes, oh, he's a pretty confident guy in God. Oh, Luis. I felt so cowardly in, in my house and in my studies I was preparing. Every word that I that I read, everything that I wrote down, everything that I was trying to process felt so thin. And I felt so thin. And I remember telling Carrie what God told me, Jeff. And I was just sitting there. Just sitting there, Carl. Wrapped up in all my own issues, all the the complexities of the moment. And God spoke to me. In response to me saying, I don't know what to say. And God said to me, Brandon, Trent, you be me, or you be you in me, and you please me, and we'll let everything else lay where it falls. You trust me. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was like a light switch. All that fear, the, the anxiety of the moment, the, the cloudiness of the moment. I'm telling you, it was like a light switch, and it was like I was possessed by the Spirit of God in such a manner that literally a confidence overwhelmed me. And a, and not a confidence in me, but a confidence in God completely overwhelmed me. And in that moment, it was all decided. And when I walked into the the, the, the funeral home uh, that morning to share, the place was packed, just like I thought it would be packed. And God allowed me to speak with conviction and resolve, with confidence and boldness. And I'm telling you, I did not measure the resistance whatsoever. It did not even matter. It was like having an audience of one person and that being God. And I declared his word with confidence. I was emboldened because I knew he was faithful. And these women go knocking and the faithfulness of God is being displayed as the articles are being given over one after another. But you never know that until you do it. I love what First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 24 says, pull it up there, brother. It says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Let me give you a little Trent Evans rendering here. The faithful one calls you. You Get that? The faithful one calls you. Because he's faithful, we can have confidence, you can have confidence to stand your ground. To preach the gospel, to live your life loud. Not with your words, but your life. And then this is what it says. It says, Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you you will put on your sons and daughters. Let me say this to you guys. Walking in confidence in God's calling leaves us the opportunity to pass on to our children a heritage of trusting Him. I want to add something to the story, the funeral story. When I was up there speaking, and there were many faces out there, my mind focused on God. I was just sharing for God the response of those who didn't want to hear, did not matter at that moment. But I looked over to the right side of that sanctuary, and there was my son. And I felt like in that moment, if for no one else, other than God, I was taking the gold and the silver and I was placing it on him as a heritage of trusting God to be faithful. God will deliver. And he said back there, face lit up, receiving, listening, hearing to every, everything that was being said. And in that moment, in that moment, I had that opportunity. Had I not been willing to do it, I would not have been able to place that there will come a time in my son's life where he's going to have to trust God, Jay, to speak the things that he knows to be true. And if I'm not the one modeling that for him, who is? If he doesn't see it in me, who will he see it in which you will put on your sons and daughters, the scripture says. But I want you to understand something here. The articles are not simply to be adorned for self-promotion, man. He wasn't, wasn't just putting the silver and gold on the kids to make them look good. But were purposed by God for his own glory. Or may I say repurposed for God. Repurposed for God. That same gold and that same silver had been used to honor, to create jewelry, to honor idols and gods of Egypt. And God reclaimed those articles, reclaimed those resources, and repurposed those. Do you know what those articles... Do you know what that gold and silver was used for? Do you know? Over a ton of gold was used, that was brought out of Egypt. Over nearly four tons of silver brought out of Egypt was used in the wilderness in the construction of the tabernacle. The mercy seat of God on the Ark of the Covenant was made of pure gold, a lid of pure gold. The atonement seat, the mercy seat, pure gold. Brought out of Egypt on the backs of children, passed down from faithfulness of their mothers to go collected and their fathers. Do you think it's just about now? Do you think the life we're living is just now? Man, they were bringing this stuff out. You think God didn't have a purpose? Do you think God didn't see the tabernacle? When God gave directions in creating the ark, covering it with gold, and the lid being, do you think that gold they brought out of there, that God repurposed, would be the very place that the blood of the sacrifice would be spilled? That tabernacle was the place that God's presence amongst the Hebrews would dwell. He had repurposed it. He had repurposed it. And I'm telling you what God is in the business of and you and I need to be in the business of is repurposing things. Not just material things. I'm talking about repurposed, intellectual, spiritual things. You say, what do you mean by repurposing? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about? Let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you what Ryan Sanders said about material things being repurposed. He said, all good things are good because of Him. Even if they are used to oppose Him, the riches of the earth do not cease to be marvelous because they are fashioned into an idol. God can repurpose things. I love when an individual takes a, a toll of the modern times that being our iPhones our iPads or whatever it may be, and uses that, repurposes something that is designed just for communication and social networking, and they repurpose that into an arm or a branch or an extension of encouragement. You know, when you get that that phone call or you get that text and you pick that up and that text has a scripture verse and encouraging word from your friend, you know what that individual did? They just repurposed that technology. And that technology is no longer just about a phone. It's, about a, it's a spiritual matter now. It's developed. It's been repurposed. It's a tool of encouragement. And I'm telling you, man, there's some other repurposing we need to do. There's some things we need to acknowledge. When I talk about the, 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 the physical properties, I'm talking about the spiritual properties. I'm talking about truth in general. You know, there's a lot of truth out there. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said, all truth is God's truth. Real truth is God's truth. You know, there's people out there in this world who adhere to biblical principles. They don't even know biblical principles, Reuben. As a matter of fact, I was over at the Hardin County Detention Center, and I was leaving one day, and there's a gentleman over there. He's a really nice guy. He's a, he was a uh, uh, the guard, he, he was the one that was over facilitating my entrance and my exit and he knew why I was there to love on a friend and uh, to encourage him and then on my way out, the guy says to me Pastor I just want you to know I, I'm an atheist I said uh, I was like Okay and uh, he said uh, you know he said that, that may offend you I said, don't offend me don't offend me doesn't make me less of a believer. You want to be an atheist? That, that's on you. He said, I, he said I, I, I don't believe in religion. I said, okay, okay. You know, you know, that's your prerogative. You know, a fool says in his heart there is no God. I said, you, that's your deal, man. He's kind. He said, I live by this philosophy. Treat people the way you want to be treated. I was like, what? Well, that's pretty. I said, I, that's fine. I, I think I heard a guy say that one time. I said, that's your your life life? He said, yeah. I said, and things work out good. I said, well, I said, I I understand. I said, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 12, there's a dude I know named Jesus that said, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is the gist of the law and the prophets. This cat was sitting there speaking truth about the scripture telling me he was an atheist. I'm the atheist that lives by biblical principles. That's what it is. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, even if uh, the truth is spoken by one who lies, it doesn't make the truth a lie. You know what I'm talking about? But God, God, there's times, man, you can speak to people, you can engage people in conversations, and they'll talk themselves right out of atheism. If you talk to them long enough, they'll talk themselves into a place of faith that you haven't even arrived at yet. But God repurposes things. He repurposes things. And these articles of gold and silver were repurposed for a greater purpose. Why? Because they walked in confidence in the calling of God and the demand or the direction of God. Hold on a second. Let's move, let's move, and it says this. Now this is, this is the part. Please get this, please get this. At the very beginning of that scripture, in verse 21, it says this. This is the underlying, the underlying, the foundational uh, necessity, the foundational essential that you and I need to understand to be confident believers and followers of Jesus. And it's found right here. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go out empty-handed. This is what God said. This is part of possessing confidence, is knowing this. Understanding that God is always active in the place that he is leading. And not only is he active, God never leads from behind. God always leads out front. God speaks to Joshua. Joshua. Right? Speaks to Joshua. Speaks through Moses. Right? Moses is dying. Deuteronomy. Right? Chapter 31. And this is what the Lord says. And he's the Lord himself goes before you. This is the word of God to Joshua. Goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You want to walk in confidence, you must understand this biblical truth that God has laid the groundwork on the other side. He's already involved and active in in the destination that He's leading you to. He's not leading you somewhere. He's abandoned that place. You know why He can walk in confidence? Why you can walk in confidence? Because we know where God is leading us. There He is. Man, he's not walking us out there on a branch like, listen, you know Wiley Coyote had no sense, right? He'd be out there on that branch, you know what I'm talking about? He'd cut that branch, right, and the whole mountain would fall. You know what I'm talking about? For, for, for a roadrunner, and then he'd, got, he'd do the same thing, and God's not like it. God's not leading us out there on that branch, man, to cut us off, to watch us drop in, in a perilous state. That's not who God is. He goes before us. Some of you need to know this. And understand this, God doesn't have to wait for circumstances to align favorably to produce his outcome. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to wait, man, for everything, you know, uh, Carl and I were talking You know, for for all your ducks to be in a row, for all the planets to align. God ain't waiting for every circumstance to be just perfect before he uh, injects himself into the equation and works things out. That's not what he's, that's not who he is. That's not what he's doing. The scripture says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards you. I'm not waiting for them to be, I will make them I will create an environment. I'm not subject to the environment. I'll alter. He is the the force, the cause agent in change for his purposes. I will change things. Those things won't change my plan. Do you understand that? That God isn't subject to the conditions of your life that would that would shorten his reach into your life? God is the changing agent. Romans eight twenty eight. Hey, my King James brothers, are, they're used to hearing it like this, right? And my New King James brothers, they're used to hearing eight twenty eight sound like this, right? And we know that all things work what together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, as though things are actually working themselves. Listen, if you study any Greek whatsoever, that's a pretty poor re- rendering of that scripture. That's a pr- it's almost as though the things have their own autonomy working for you. Things. That's not how the, in the Greek, that's not how that scripture reads. You know how that scripture actually reads in the Greek? And this is something that you and I need to know that we walk confidently into situations that can be scary. This is what the Scripture, this is a better rendering of that Scripture. The Berean Bible actually renders it accurately, and this is how it is rendered. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. He is the changing agent. He is the worker. He is the one that possesses the things that are being worked and alter, and change, and transform for your benefit. It is him who is involved. And then last but not least, and we're going to close. I don't know where we're at on time. I may have ran over. Or I may not have reached my 45-minute draw. And I know we got visitors thinking, oh my goodness, this guy goes 45 minutes. We out. Last thing. God's provision can be provided through the most unlikely of hands. (laughs) I don't know, man. When God says, these are the resources, we're not leaving empty-handed, and this is where it's coming from. Now listen. Listen. That's a hard one to swallow, right? But I'm going to tell you what robs us of our confidence in the way God wants to provide for us sometimes. It's this. These preconceived notions that you and I have established in our hearts and minds on how God must work. This is how God's going to do it. This is what I'm looking for. And the whole time God's over here blaring at us. Here it is. And we're over here saying, where is it? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And we've got to understand that sometimes the humor of God just has him do things a little bit outside the box for you and for me. And when we take our eyes off of the confidence of robbing concepts and notions we have in our own heart about how God must do things, then we can keep confidence because we know all things are in play to a God who controls and makes all things purposeful. Listen, uh, my mother-in-law, Kathy, owns a daycare. Monica, you're in the back. Monica's uh, daughter was one of her first back in 1986, 87, sometime like that. Was that right, Monica? 88? Okay, see I'm I'm old. I forget. Okay, 88. She was one of the little babies there. The, She's been loving on kids forever. You know? And, uh, Uh, Every year, you know, she redoes her daycare, her yard and everything. And so she said, Trent, I've got a list of about 30 things, and uh, I need you to do them. So I started looking at them, paint this, paint that, uh, install a generator, remove uh, lawn timbers, uh, mulch, repurpose this, repurpose that. I need you to power wash this, power wash that. I need the floor done here. I need the roof done here. I need the ceiling repainted. I need this. I'm te- I got broke sweat reading the list. You know what I'm talking about? And I could feel the panic, the anxiety setting up in my heart. I was reading it. I was needing God to help me get through the list. <laughs> reading it. I'm not talking about doing it. Reading it. She said, is that too much? And I lied and said, no, that's all right. You know, what are you going to say to your mother-in-law? I ain't got that much love for you. No, no, you ain't going there. And I said, no, no, that's, that's no problem. Then I, I get home, I say, Clark, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> right, right? Straight up, yeah, employ that cat. Put him in the work. But listen, I was doing a bunch of work for and whatnot, and uh, doing some uh, a roof repair, you know, uh her her roof on her house you know had been repaired so many times the shingles and whatnot I mean uh, some was gray, some was black, some uh three dimensional some were not I mean, that thing looked like you know a straight up a uh, a shingle buffet. you had a little bit of everything going on in that roof nice house, bad roof right and i I did some repairs for it and i I come down and I talked to her i said uh kathy I think that that looks good up there I said, but You probably need a new roof. She said, well, how much would that be? Well, about $225 a square. You got about 42, 44 square. Oh, about $10,000. Patch that roof up, Trent. (laughs) I ain't got $10,000. But she's a praying woman. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, listen, you know her. You know her. Flat. Flat pray you into, you know, the fifth heaven kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? I'm getting that interdimensional stuff on you. I mean, flat, you know, Jeff, flat pray you right through, won't you, brother? I mean, a woman of God, lover of the word, lover of God. But she's like you and I, wrestle with fear, wrestle with certain things, has to press through, call on God for courage. That's who she is. Dynamic woman of God. And I was down there one day, and this lady shows up. because the, the state comes in and inspects. You know, you ever get anything from the state, you've got to answer to the state. And so uh, even if you don't, you still have to answer to the state inspecting. And uh, it always got her nervous. I mean, she's got, I mean, five-star daycare. Best daycare in the world. And if you're wondering, she don't have any openings. So don't talk to me after church. All right. Great daycare, beautiful place. And, and I had it, well, Clark and I had it, in pristine condition, looking good. Grass just mowed. It was as though uh, God had done said it in my heart letting me know the inspection was coming. You know, I mean, it was looking good. And the lady comes in and she says, uh, Miss Kathy said, Yard looks awesome. Everything looks so good. First time she had met this, like, this was a new lady. New inspector. Sit down and begin to talk to Kathy. Kathy was telling her about everything they had just done. Should have been talking about everything I had just done. We had just done, Clark. All right? All right? And she says, but, you know, I I got some other things I need to do. I I need to get my, my roof repaired and probably replaced. The lady says to her, oh, really? She said, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but we just instituted a new program for in-home daycares to help cover costs of upkeep in the facility. She said, but it maxes out. It tops out at (laughs) $10,000. About four weeks later, mail runs email <laughs> Your checks on the way $10,000 Hey listen listen This roofing company came in you're talking about 44 square 100 foot of square man You're talking 4400 square feet. That's a whole lot of roof ain't it, Larry? That's a lot of roof They came in at 7 o'clock at morning 715 they left pristine brand new roof. I mean, there, there wasn't a shingle, a broken shingle left on the ground that you could have, I mean pristine. And I remember driving down there because I was going to inspect it. And I drove down there and I pulled up and I just looked at that roof. That's not where we were expecting it to come from. We wasn't looking that direction. But God provided in that manner. Kathy comes out of the house. I walk around the house. I'm showing her the roof as though I had done it, Ruben. I was was like, look how good that roof looks. Let me show you this angle. Let me show you this. Let me show you like that. And I'm not kidding you, man. The Lord is my witness. She's walking around that house. Praise God. Like we had entered the tabernacle. Because in her heart, in her mind, this was the means. This was the hand that God used. She wasn't looking there. She was just looking at him. Willing to accept wherever it had come from as the provision and the coverage of God walked around that house, wanted me to take pictures, Celebrated what God had done. And Jeff, you know, since you've been down there, she's probably trying to tell you that story. I don't know. I guarantee you, every mother who's coming to that daycare has so had to listen to that story. I mean, I go there, she wants to tell me the story, and I don't want to have it done got parents coming her, She said, like, have I told you a story about the, the roof? And they're like, twice. <laughs> she said, man, can you believe what God did? You know, the next time a roof problem rises or another problem rises, her confidence is just ever-growing, ever-growing, ever-growing. Not in her, but in him. And I'm saying to you this morning, my brothers and my sisters, in light of the conflict in the culture in which we live, when we begin to understand these things, when we begin to understand what God is calling us to do and if we're willing to do it, not only are we passing things on to our children that God is going to use, not just in their generation, but in the following generations. Not, not only not only is God willing and able to do things for you and for me. If we can embrace the idea that he's willing to do that and he's willing to repurpose things, he's willing to do those kinds of things and we don't confine him, if we can grasp that, we too can walk in confidence. If we open our eyes and we just begin to watch what God has done in other people's lives and trust and believe that God can do that same thing In our lives, we can walk in that confidence. God don't love Reuben more than me, nor does He love me more than Reuben. He doesn't love Luis more than me, or me more than Luis. I can go through the whole congregation. What he has done for you, he'll do for me. He's that kind of guy. He's that faithful, and we've been called by the faithful one. And you can have the same confidence. It doesn't mean there won't be times in your life that fear might arise. He doesn't say don't be afraid unless there's something to be afraid of. It doesn't mean that that there won't be moments of of discouragement when God says be encouraged. It doesn't mean those things won't, won't rise up in our life. What it does mean is that when God is leading us and we're following, it doesn't matter what rises up. God is there with us. He was there before we arrived there, awaiting us. He has prepared to meet our needs in manners we don't even uh, uh, couldn't even begin to comprehend or understand. And at the end of the day, man, when they roll up into Ramesses with all that gold, with all that silver, and all that clothing, and I think when you read the scripture in the, in the Hebrew. The clothing sounds a lot more like material. Maybe material that was used and repurposed. And when it got to Ramesses and they had all those articles, you think there wasn't a tear shed? You think there wasn't people looking at people saying, can you believe this? This is how God responds when we walk confidently in his leading. And he'll do it for you, I promise you, he'll do it for you. I want you to be a confident, confident person, not in you. Come on, not in you, but in him, in him. Stand with me this morning, we'll be dismissed. With your heads bowed just for a moment, just just for a moment, okay? Okay. Let's let's just sit just for a second, just for a second, in God's presence, okay? Let's just, let's allow God just to kind of move through the sanctuary, into our hearts, through our hearts and our minds. And as he's doing that, I just want to ask you this question. With your heads bowed, not looking around, out of respect for your neighbor, okay? Not looking around. Why do you lack confidence in God? When are you going to start walking confidently in the calling God has placed on your life? When are you going to be the mother God's called you to be, a mother of faith? When are you going to be a father of faith? When are you going to start being the son that God has called you to be in the kingdom, the daughter God's called you to be? When are you going to fulfill the calling where God has called you to be an intercessor? When are you going to start praying and interceding? When are you going to start responding to the call of God? When are you because everything is connected? The provision, the working of God. All of that was in response to the knocking, to the going out, to the asking, to the obedience. When is that going to happen for you? Carrie's going to come, and I'm telling you, I'm just going to give you a minute. Just give you a minute with your heads bowed and eyes closed. If God speaks to you today and says you need to step out and you need to resolve some issues in your heart. You know what God is really saying? You know what he's really saying spiritually speaking? Come get your gold. Come get your silver. Come get your clothing. Come get what I want to provide for you. But you've got to step out. You've got to knock. You've got to ask. How long do we resist God? How long? How long do we suffer loss because of that? I'm just going to give you a minute. Carrie's just going to play. These altars are open. And listen, they're not open to pray to to Brother Trent. They're not not open up here so you can just unload emotionally. These altars are open up here for you to engage God, the King of eternity, to do business, to resolve issues in your heart with Jesus. I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again today. God cares more about what you want to say to Him than what I've got to say about you to Him. He wants a conversation with you. He wants you. And today, this morning, briefly, in this moment, this is your opportunity, your opportunity to respond to Him in the name of Jesus.